So we are finishing up our series this morning, rooted, grounded in the foundations of the faith. We've talked about what the church is. We've talked about what the gospel is. We've talked about what our mission is as a church, to share together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor. And this morning, we are going to close out by discussing what is a church member. Now, what I'm not going to do, I'm going to move this over, Rich, sorry. What I'm not going to do is try to give a defense as to why we believe in church membership and why other churches do not. We do. We, we are a church that believes that we should be members of the church. But that's not the point of this morning. But rather, the point of this morning is to talk a little bit about what does it look like to actually live out our faith with one another in community. How do we live out this thing we call Christianity? How do we follow that narrow path with one another? See, this is really the point when we talk about church membership, that we would actually be a people committed to God and committed to one another. That's the whole idea of right? loving God and loving neighbor. And so this morning, that's what we are going to be discussing as we unpack this text in Romans chapter 12. Now, you were given a bulletin or you picked up a bulletin when you came in, and if not, we do have some um, out in the hallway. And I want to just direct your attention to the back of the bulletin where you see the community group questions because we added a question. We added a question as we are now exploring this idea of family ministry as an elder team. We're trying to wrap our minds fully around how we can be a church that not only disciples adults but disciples entire families. There's actually a question there in the back that says, engage your family. And I want to encourage you, those of you who have children, to spend time, at least one time this week, reading that question over with your kids, allowing them to discuss that and, and hearing from them and hearing from where they're at. And so with that, let's jump in. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Michael Bird, New Testament scholar and commentator, in his commentary on the book of Romans, he says this, If love defines the Christian life, then, as Tertullian said, see how they love one another is what pagans should be saying when they observe an authentic Christian family. See how they love one another is what pagans should be saying when they observe an authentic Christian family. Like I said earlier this morning, we're going to be talking about church membership. And while there is no chapter and verse that says, thou shalt become a member of a local church, so many of the commands and expectations placed upon us as followers of Jesus really only make sense in the context of a local body of believers committed to one another. And one of the primary commands issued to the church is that we would be a people marked by love. Marked by love. And only then will onlookers be able to catch a glimpse of what God is like. See, sadly, so much of the American church's public witness in recent years, months, and even weeks has been marked by things like discord, guile, mockery, disrespect, foolish controversies, mud-slinging, and even violence. And while I'm sure... Some of this has been set aflame and misrepresented by the media. The old adage holds true, where there's smoke, there's fire. And what the world is seeing as they look upon our tribe, evangelicalism, is a God so divorced from the person, work, and teachings of Jesus that he has become unrecognizable and possibly even revolting to a watching world. 
So my goal this morning is to demonstrate how Scripture provides for us a better way forward. A better way forward. That the church might show the surrounding communities of Tom's River what the God of the Scriptures is like. And so we start in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. We're going to start with the first part of verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. See, this particular phrase serves as the main point of this particular section. While verses 9b through 13 unpack exactly what it means to let our love be genuine. So what is going on right now? Paul is urging the church to let their love, which he's urging us as well, be genuine. But what sort of love is he referring to? The interesting thing, as I was studying this week, I was struck. That the word love right here in verse 9 is that agape love that we see throughout the scriptures. And actually, this is the first time in the book of Romans where that word agape shows up in reference to how Christians are to associate with one another and with the outside world. It's the first time it shows up in reference to a Christian's posture towards others. Now, it shows up a few other times, and I want to read those in chapter 5 verses 5 through 8. Let me just read it to you here. It starts here. It says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, agape, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For, once will, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It comes up again in chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Let me read it for you. Who shall separate us from the agape of Christ? Shall, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so in those passages, what Paul is doing is he's, he's preaching the gospel to us. He's telling us that God's love for us is so much so that he was willing to die on our behalf. That he lived this perfect life and that he died on the cross, a, a sinner's death, a traitor's death, that he was not the one who should have been paying, but he did so on our behalf. And so it's that substitutionary love, but it's also that sort of love that doesn't allow anything under creation to remove us from our position in Christ. And then, here in chapter 12, he uses it to describe us. And he calls us to let our agape love, that God-like love, to be genuine. So what's the point? See, the love that Paul is calling us to is the same sort of love that God demonstrates toward us. The love that God is calling us to is the same sort of love 
that God demonstrates towards us. See, this is why at Redeemer Fellowship we talk about this idea of sharing together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor. Why? Because we actually participate in the sufferings of Christ. And we participate in the sufferings of Christ on behalf of one another. So that love that God has lavished upon us, he is now asking us to now redirect it toward one another and the world around us. It's that God-like love. Imagine if the church loved like Jesus loved. Imagine if we were a people so marked by that kind of love. What a captivating story that would be for those looking in on the people of God. What an amazing thing that would be if we loved as Christ loved. He says, let that love be genuine. And, and I think it's so interesting, right? Because the sort of love that God displays and demonstrates towards us is a love without pretense. It's a love that is pure and undefiled. It's a love that doesn't actually hold against us when we slip up. It's a genuine love. It's not a fake or hypocritical love. The interesting thing about this particular text is that this, this idea of genuine love is, is a love that's unhypocritical. It's that play-acting word that shows up in the Greek. It's that mask that people put on. And see, what God is saying, what Paul is saying to us is that as we love, like, don't pretend. Don't fake it. Don't pay lip service to people. Don't be an actor. Don't take this godlike love and play games with it. See, we've been entrusted with something, and we are called to live it out faithfully. We're not here pretending. In fact, if there are issues we have, what, what this is calling us to is to be honest with one another, to be transparent with one another, to actually share our burdens with one another, to share when things maybe didn't go the way we had hoped it would go, and to have conversations with one another but that we wouldn't pretend to be something that we're not. So the point is, as we wrestle with this question, what is a church member, we can confidently assert that it is someone who loves their church family in the way that God has loved us. It's someone who loves their church family in the way that God has loved us. Now, of course, we're not going to do that perfectly. We're going to drop the ball along the way. But that's the beauty of this thing called Christianity, this, this, beautiful, this beautiful faith that we get to practice, that we can actually run to the cross and, and seek forgiveness when we do fumble the ball. But God is calling us to be a people marked by genuine, unhypocritical love, which means that our political enemies were called to not only love them face to face, but also behind their back and also on social media. The person who failed to say hello to us this morning or some other Sunday morning, we're called to show them grace, to be patient. Even the relationship between elders and church members is something that we need to saturate in the love of Christ. This is what we're called to, Redeemer Fellowship. This is what it means to be a family. This is what it means to be the people of God. We talked about what the church is last week. And now we're looking at how the church ought to live out this calling 
This gospel calling that has been placed upon our lives. That our love is to be genuine. And now he spends the next few verses explaining how that love should play itself out. Verses 9 through 13 conveniently kind of look at what love looks like within the context of the Christian community. And it starts like this. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. See, the members of the church are marked by a godlike, unhypocritical love, which means that we hate what is evil with a violent sort of hatred, and we cling to what is good. We hate what is evil, and we cling to what is good. John Calvin says it like this. He said, the words good and evil, which immediately follow in the context, have not here a general meaning. It's not just like random sort of evils, things that you would consider, but but no, it's, it's a specific type of evil for that malicious wickedness by which an injury is done to men or women. And good for that kindness by which help is rendered to them. So we're talking about malice versus kindness. We're talking about how we interact with one another. How we live out our faith with one another. Are we tearing one another down, which is evil in the sight of God? Or are we building ourselves up, building one another up, which is good in the sight of God? See, in other words, members of the body of Christ, we need to do violence to the sort of evil that seeks the harm of others, while clinging tightly to the sort of good that seeks the welfare of others. We have to do violence to that sort of thing. We have to root it out within our community because there's a world watching us, and there are people watching us. Our children are watching us. And so we are called to do violence to this sort of evil, And that goes for how we live our lives publicly on social media. And sadly, that is something that has so just like enveloped the people of God over these last number of months and years where where we, we don't realize that what we type is out there and people are seeing it. And people know that you are a follower of Jesus because maybe two or three posts earlier, you were quoting scripture. And so we have to fight this temptation to engage in every single controversy that that flows our way because guess what? On social media, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I mean, the internet is jam-packed with just controversy after controversy after controversy. And Paul actually tells us to avoid foolish controversies, to not actually engage in them. Why? Why? Because, because we have so many more important things to be dealing with, namely the kingdom of God, the proclamation of the good news of King Jesus. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. The text goes on. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so love shows up again, but this is a different sort of love. This is that familial love. This is that love that I look at Russ, and Russ is not just some guy that walked in, but Russ is my brother. He actually belongs to my family. Sandy's my sister. Dr. Joe is my brother. We are a part of a family because we all have the same father, and we've been adopted into this people of God marked by Christ. 
And so what Paul is getting at here, he's saying, yes, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And then he says, this is your family, act like it. This is our family. And this is something that actually goes deeper than blood, which, which is hard, right? For, for an Italian boy like myself, this is difficult. I got I to be honest with you. Because I, I was raised, and I'm, I'm raising my kids the same way, and I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't know, but, but you never go against the family, right? You never go against the family. But, but this is the family. The people of God are our family. That needs, to, that needs to eclipse all other allegiances. Every other allegiance. Because we pledge allegiance to our king and to one another. Man, that's good news. That's good news if I've ever heard it. And that's the beauty of this thing called Christianity. He goes on. He says, he says love one another with a brotherly affection. Act like family and outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. So the point is, is that to be a church member is to be a part of a family, and this family transcends ethnic and other tribal boundary markers, whether they be political, socioeconomic, racial. And within this family, it's our calling to lead the way in lifting one another up. When he says, outdo one another in showing honor, that means we're to be at the front of the line showing honor to one another. That means we are to be lifting one another up. We are to be setting the example for what it means to show honor. And you know what's interesting about that passage? In an honor-shame context, which was the early church world, where basically there were groups of people that didn't deserve honor, and there were groups of people who did deserve honor, depending on where you fell socioeconomically, politically, or whatever the case may be. And what Paul is speaking into this particular context, he's saying, regardless of what the world around you, regardless of what the Roman Empire might think of so-and-so and so-and-so, guess what? In the family of God, all that stuff means nothing. Because what matters is that you are marked by Christ. And so what we are called to do is lead the way in showing honor to even those who the world deems other or less than, or who your family and friends on Facebook might deem as other or less than. And, and I actually want us to kind of have a little, bit of a, a little bit of an exercise, like who fits into the category of untouchable for you? Who fits into that category? And everyone probably has people popping into their brains right now or groups of people popping into their heads. And what, and what Jesus is saying is that, is that we need to outdo one another in showing honor for them. That we need to lead the way. We're not a people who tear down. We're a people who build up. This does not mean we don't call out sin. That's not what that means. But it does mean that we lift one another up. We are people of encouragement. We are people marked by love. Marked by love. See, remember, remember the, the, the story of the gospel, right? While we were sinners, while we were at enmity with God, while we were his enemies, he died for us. Think about that. Dying for an enemy. Dying for someone who opposes you 
politically, who opposes your, your thoughts about how this country should run, who opposes your opinions on how a pandemic should be dealt with. Love them. Die for them. Bless them. Pray for them. Oh, man, the gospel's so big. It calls us to so much. And we're busy running around caring about things that are temporal. Again, this doesn't mean we don't cry out for justice in an unjust world. It's not what it means. But it means that we demonstrate the love of Christ toward one another. That we demonstrate that sacrificial, cross-shaped love to one another. The text goes on. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. The God-like love that marks the church is a love marked by spirit-induced passion to serve the Lord. In other words, church members are servants and our lives should be set aflame, set aflame by the Spirit, so much so that we are willing to serve above and beyond the call of duty, that we are willing to serve above and beyond the call of duty. The godlike love that marks the church is a love that is confident in the promises of God. And that confidence enables us to be patient in the midst of difficulties that are surrounding us. And we can remain patient because we have, we have a direct line to God, right? That's why he says, be constant in prayer. Man, we get to talk to the creator of the universe. We get to engage with the one who spoke all this into existence. What a, what a glorious thing that we have as followers of Jesus. This is what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. We serve because we possess a hope and confidence that even though it feels like we are often running in place and going nowhere, God is bringing us through the fire. We are a serving people and we are a praying people. I can't help but shamelessly plug Redeemer Kids and how we need to be reaching out to Ellie Post and volunteering to serve as a teacher. But, you know, neither here nor there. The text continues in verse 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I love this. I love this. And this, this text is so interesting because it really is just like a list of like things, right? There's no real like flow. Like there's a flow, but it's just like a bullet point. It's like an outline. Like if you're taking notes in school, that's kind of what is going on here. It's an outline of what does letting love be genuine look like? And he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I was looking at this text and I was, I was kind of wrestling with it because as I was studying, I noticed that the word contribute is probably, probably more in line with, with that word koinonia, right? That's like one of those Greek terms that all like Christians know because it means fellowship, right? We love koinonia. It's like a fun word to say. You know, it's, it's nice, right? And that's, that's what this is actually getting at. It's not, it's not this like, here, let me, let me give you, let me help the, the saints. But it's more so, let me help the saints, it's let me share, let me participate, let me jump in the pit with you. Let me get all that mud and dirt and grime all over me because that's what it means to be a part of a family. 
That's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. That we allow one another's mess to get all over us. To get all over us. Right, those of you who've had children, it's almost guaranteed that you have all had the experience of getting your children's mess, I'm not going to go into details on what that mess is, all over you. Right? That's what happens. And we did it to our parents. And our parents did it to their parents. And you know what's funny about that? When you're a parent and that happens, you're kind of like, oh, no, you don't, like, lose it. You don't flip out. You're just kind of like, that's disgusting. Okay, but let's, you got to keep going. You can't stop. You can't leave your children in that mess. In fact, if so, Child Protective Services should be called on you. But no, we jump right in. We jump right in because we love that child so much. We love them so much that we are willing to get their filth on us. You know what happens as they get older? And I haven't experienced it all yet, but the mess gets bigger. (laughs) The mess gets bigger, and now that mess is, is emotional. Now that mess is spiritual. And you know, and that's when it really starts to affect us, right? It's okay to get a little bit of, you know, human waste on you as a, you know, with your kid. Like, you can deal with that. But when they're going through that emotional stuff, and that's when it hurts. That's when it, like, rips you apart, where you start shedding tears over your children because you love them so much. That's the kind of love that God is calling us to with one another, that we invite that in, that we invite that in, that we don't do the arm's length, where, where really what this translation is saying, contributing, where it's, it's kind of like this, right? Like, oh, let me throw some money at that. And, and don't get me wrong, money matters. People need it, but, but this, is, this is more than that. To be a member of the body of Christ means you jump in, you get filthy, You weep with those who weep, as it says in just a few verses. And I'm sure many of you in this room have had people weep with them, weep with you over the things that you've gone through. And those people probably, probably it wasn't even personal for them, but it was personal to them because it was you. And they wept with you. And they sat with you. And they came alongside you. This is what the love of Christ calls us to as followers of Jesus. That's what it means to be a church member. And again, like we're not here to convince you of church membership, but rather I want you to see how the Bible just shows that you can't really live this out apart from being a member of the local church. In fact, we, we need each other so that we can live out this one another life that God calls us to. The text continues, verses 14 through 21, and I'm probably going a little long today, so we're going we're gonna to speed up a little bit. So now, in, in, your, in your outline, we're looking at the love that we have for the outside world. Right? The first half of this text deals primarily with the love we have for one another, and now the second portion of this text deals primarily, not solely, but primarily with the love we have for the outside world. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. See, the God-like love that we are called to 
is not only shown to one another, but also to those who fall in the category of enemy or persecutors. See, Paul is calling us to something, a posture of blessing towards those who might be persecuting the church. See, so many of us love to claim that we're being persecuted, and, 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 and praise God, we're, we're not really being persecuted all that much in, in this country. Praise, praise the Lord. Um, but from what I've seen, we don't necessarily speak blessing over these alleged persecutors. I mean, myself included. I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. In fact, in fact, we look at those who, who speak ill against us or who, who have a different moral fabric than we do or a different worldview, and, and, we, and we curse them. We actually do the opposite. I do this too. This is, this is not like a, like a you. I'm not pointing my finger. I'm actually wrestling with this as I read through this text. I've been wrestling with it all week because there are, there are very specific people in my life, and I'm seeing them in my brain right now, who I am struggling currently with as to how I can be a blessing or bless them when really what I want to do is, is put a dent in the side of their head. Like, and and, and, and I'm, I'm not totally, but, but the point is, like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, there's a cop over here. He's going to, like, I don't, I don't need that. But my point is, is that this is something we all struggle with. We struggle with it on the macro level. Right? And we see it primarily played out in, in things like politics and, and the media. And then we see it on the micro level as it relates to, to those who, who we just don't like, who hurt us. People who hurt us deeply. And God's saying, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I mean, he's borrowing language from the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the blessing that he's talking about is that blessing that comes down from God. If you remember when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, the blessing in the Beatitudes was that ground-up sort of blessing that, that kind of happened as we lived our lives in a manner that made sense for, for human flourishing. But this blessing is the kind of blessing that we actually call God to do. So, so just by virtue of the word bless, we're called to pray for those who persecute us, to pray for them to pray for those who disagree with us, to pray for those who have a different agenda than we might have, a different worldview, a different political stance than we might have. And the reality is, is that most political leaders have a different political stance or ought to have a different political stance than we do because we serve a king. We serve a king in a kingdom, and there is not one political representative that embodies fully what this thing is calling us to. There's not one. There's not one. So we pray for those people. We bless those people. Right? If we're unhappy with our current president and we believe that he's ushering in an anti-Christian agenda, then we gotta pray for him. And we gotta we gotta bless him. We can't tear him to pieces on Facebook or in conversations. And on the flip side, if you're at odds with our former president, if you believed him to be wicked and evil, did you pray for him that he would be blessed? The point is, is that church members are to be marked once again by a God-like love. And God-like love seeks the good of their enemy, even those who may be attacking your way of life. I don't fully understand it, honestly. And, and part of me doesn't really like it. Again, remember, I, I grew up Italian. I, I like vengeance. 
But it seems to be what Paul is saying here. And it seems to be what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I'll read to you from Romans 5. For if while we were enemies, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were enemies of God. We were enemies. He goes on, bless those who persecute you, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never, never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of God. I think it's so interesting because Romans 1 through 11 basically unpacks the story of how God loves us. Just kind of goes in on it. While we were yet sinners, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Justified in Christ. So many beautiful things. And, and the question I keep wrestling with is, is as we see this shift from agape being used for God towards us to now us toward the world and those within our midst, I can't help but think that maybe Romans 1 through 11 was just setting up for us an example of how we're to love one another. It's this beautiful story. It's like, it's like, hey, everyone, hey, church, come here. Let me, let me tell you a story about Jesus. Let me point to you about what he did. Let me point to you about how much he loved you, how he sacrificed himself in your place, how he died on a cross, how he embodied everything that we are to be. And now you know what he's telling you to do? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I mean, what a beautiful shift that we see in the midst of that. If God loved us, and man, did he love us because, I mean, what does it say in, in Romans chapter 3? What, what then? Are we, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already cha- charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Did you know our throats were open graves? Not even one. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. We're a venomous people. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood. I mean, I, I can go on. You've read Romans 3 before. It's, it's, it's a rough depiction of who we were before Christ. And Jesus loved that person. He loved that person and he died for that person. A couple of questions I want you to wrestle with. Who in your estimation deserves death and judgment? Who is it that makes your skin crawl because they are so evil in your mind? Who are your enemies? God's calling us to love them. In fact, he says that so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with those people. Be at peace with those people. A quick word about revenge, which I probably need to get to because I struggle with it. If possible, so far as it depends, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I mean, revenge is celebrated, right? The Count of Monte Cristo, gladiator, the princess bride. I am an ego Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. I mean, that's just, that's revenge. We love it. It's a fun, it's fun movie. We love it. But I want us to remind us something before we move to the conclusion of our sermon. 
Remember the armor of God from Ephesians. Remember the armor of God. And then remember that the armor of God was lifted directly from Isaiah chapter 59, verses 15 through 18. I'm going to read it to you. The Lord, the Lord saw it and it pleased him. There was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for his clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. The interesting thing about the armor of God in Ephesians is that vengeance is not listed. That one belongs to God. That one is not ours for the taking. We don't get to avenge. That is not our calling as followers of Jesus. We have a king who takes care of that for us. We have a king who takes care of that for us. Just like we are not called to be vigilantes in regular matters of justice, we're not called to go overseas and fight wars apart from you know, the sanctioning of our government. So too is it with us as we wander through this life. We have a king. We belong to a kingdom. He executes judgment. He executes vengeance. We love. We love. We love our enemies. We love those who persecute us. And man, if we're loving like that, if we are truly loving like that, then something so captivating is happening here. Something so wonderful that people are going to ask, what is going on with you people? Why is it that you are able to genuinely care for those who hate you, who genuinely care for those who are against you? That doesn't mean everyone's going to get saved, but it does mean that people will see something different. Paul caps off this section with a summary statement. Do not be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. That's exactly what the cross is about. If we are to be a people marked by the love of Jesus, then we must embody that love by living our lives in such a way that reflects the cross-shaped love of Jesus. And so as we come to the table this morning, we are in turn reminded of that love, a love so deep that it died for us, Jesus had every right to climb down off that tree and destroy every single one of his enemies. He laid his life down. We too are called to lay our lives down. Actually, a couple of people can help uh, Robert pass out the elements this morning. Jim, would you mind helping Robert pass out the elements this morning? Would you mind also, Tim, helping Robert pass out the elements this morning? We are called to do this for those right here in our midst, displaying a love that is so sacrificial, so tangible, that onlookers have no other option but to notice. And we're to do that for those outside of our ranks, to our neighbors, and also to those who might fall into the category of enemy. Then and only then will the world be able to catch a glimpse of what God is like. And so when we talk about membership here at Redeemer Fellowship, we are talking about an opportunity to be a part of a community of faith striving toward a life together marked by cross-shaped love. We are talking about family, a place where our brokenness will not be judged, but rather engaged and cared for. 
A place where even if we disagree, we can sit at a table together, at the table together. We can serve together. We can give and receive love from one another. This is what I envision for our church. And while we might not yet be there, I do believe this is exactly where God wants to take us. Because that is exactly the story of the scriptures. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love, Lord. I thank you for the cross, Lord, for the resurrection. I thank you for this calling, Lord, that has been placed upon each one of our lives. Lord, we are your people. Father, help us to to live our lives in a manner that reflects that, that reflects this familial bond that we all share. Father, we love you so much. We love you with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray.